Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts today. I am Jake Deemer, and I am joined today by Big Money Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? Good, man. Good, man. How are you? Uh, bad, because I just lost, and it was a really poor showing. Don't feel so uh, hot about my team right now, but uh, it's okay. The thing with, yeah, I mean, look. It's still really early. We're, we're two weeks in, but I feel you. You know, I'm, I'm a competitor myself and see my team 0-4. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. But in the grand scheme of things, I knew that my team was going to be like this for a little bit, knowing that I've got Acuna. Acuna's, what, possibly coming back this week? Uh, May 6th. I don't May know if that's 6th. this week or not. No, I think it'll be the following week. But I knew that it was going to be a few weeks. I don't have him. Obviously, with Tatis, the earliest date would be June 7th. And then, you know, we don't know about Trevor Bauer. So I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. So, but yeah, it's it's pain. I feel you. Yeah, we won't dwell too much on the past here because we got a lot of content today. We're going to have, we're going to go through some mock trades that we came up with. That should be a fun segment. We also have our very first uh, rankings debate, starting pitcher rankings debate today. So let's just jump right into it by revisiting the past. Uh, the prior week recap, uh, matchup outcomes. Uh, I did not participate last week, so thanks for Nick for filling in uh, without me having to ask him. Uh, so I'm still sitting at four and two. Nate had a real tough week last week. He's at five and seven now. Uh, while we have a new one, which is guest. Now guest is just going to be everybody else. So we're going to keep a running tab of that. Uh, Nick is so far the only guest. He went four and two last week. So that is where we currently stand. Uh, despite Nate being ahead by one week, he's not here. So me and guest, which today is Mike, will have a chance to uh, make up some ground here. Hey, so let's just. Quick. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I have a proposition for you. If the okay. guests on the podcast finish with a better record than both you and Nate, they get a top five pick. Guaranteed. In the keeper draft, our uh, actual draft. Yeah, I don't think that one's gonna. gonna All work. right, well, we can do expansion draft top five. We'll we'll, neg- we'll negotiate here later. <laughs> Let's yeah. jump right into it. What's yeah. your what's your with the three biggest takeaways? Uh, what was your first biggest takeaway this week? Uh, first one, top of my head, real quick. Eddie finally broke the streak. So, as you guys probably know, he his team wasn't, quote-unquote, a huge contender last year. But, man, it's like every time I played him, I just kept losing and losing. And I'm like, dang it. And then eventually, come fantasy football season, I finally got the win over him. And I just kept winning against him. I, there was another time, you know, we all do separate leagues and we're all in multiple leagues. And I just kept beating him. I kept beating him. And I texted him separately one time. I was like, hey, man, I think the streak's over. I think it's done. And then I beat him in basketball. I'm like, oh, buddy, here we go. Like, I'm beating you. The streak's done. Like, he beat me finally again. It might just be a baseball thing. I know it has nothing to do with the matchups. But it just seems like me and Eddie are just meant to be this head-to-head rival. And I love it. Yeah, it's always fun having a head-to-head rivalry. My for my biggest takeaway or my first takeaway was 
what happened with the scoring this week? Because this was the second lowest median ever with a just 200.7 points. Half the teams finished below 200 points. I mean, I guess, duh, if the median was that low. That's the only the second time this has ever happened. But even worse than that, five teams finished below 180 points. And uh, the third highest scorer of the week, which was Jordan, he had 228.1 points. If we go back one year ago, that would have been the seventh highest score in week two. So 2021, uh, week two, Jordan's third highest score would have been the seventh highest score that week. And I would look back, maybe I thought maybe this was a trend early season stuff, but no. Our league median last week was 343.7 as opposed to the 323.3 from the uh, 2021 opening week. So it's not it's not just that we're in 2022, we've opened a little slower. I guess this was just a really bad week. It was uh, really something, though. You don't often see so many teams do so terribly all at one time. Uh, what was your second takeaway? Yeah, real quick, just to like kind of give my opinion about that. I think a lot of that, honestly, why the league meeting is so low. There's a lot of guys, like big time guys that are out with injuries. I mean, you have this, you know, you can even look at my team. I mean, you know, I don't have a Tatis. I don't have Macuna. DeGrom's not playing. Lance Lynn's not playing. I, I know there's other people out there as well that, you know, are hurt. But those are some big time players. Those are some big time studs that like are guaranteed to get you like, big time points throughout the week but again too like it's very early so I expect that number to come up but my second tech takeaway excuse me I don't think Scott's no longer a prospect builder I think Scott legitimately could have a serious contending team if he plays his cards right and I say that because he has arguably the best catcher real muto he's what top three in points right now you know somewhere around that ballpark torkelson's been lighting it up lately arenado has been classic arenado Juan franco has proven to the world that he was a number one prospect for a reason guriel's been on fire I'm not trying to go through his complete roster, but then Julio Rodriguez is starting to show some life back into the bat. And then his bullpen can arguably be one of the best bullpens in baseball. He's got a good one-two punch with Aaron Nola, Jose Barreos. But here's where I'm saying that he can be a serious contending team if he plays his cards right, because he has a lot of prospects on his team, but a lot of good players that are centered around his team that can make him a like a bona fide top three, top five contender. If he decides, all right, screw it, I'm going in and I'm going to compete. He's got guys like CJ Abrams he can move. He's got guys like Kalanick. I, I know that he's a fanboy for Bobby Witt. I don't see him moving him. But then you look over at his pitching. He's got uh, Ryu, Tejon Walker that he can move. It's really all dependent on what Scott wants to do. I know he's been kind of quiet heading into this year. I don't know if I reached out to him about a trade one time and never got a text back. I don't know if anybody else has had any luck on that note. But he, if he plays his cards right, this is a serious contending team because he's got a lot of wiggle room 
on both ends, whether he was like, okay, my team's not going to be very good. All right. I'm going to sell some of these guys or two. Okay. Shoot. This team is really good. Let's start actually selling off these prospects, selling off these good keep values. So I'm very, very curious to see how Scott's going to do and what his plan is going forward. Yeah, that kind of leads. That was also my second takeaway, which was the big rebound for Scott and kind of what you were saying. Uh, Wander Franco, I think he has top five hitter upside in this format with the how, how infrequently he strikes out. Uh, if he's able to take a step forward in the power department, that would be huge for him. He always, he has one of the highest floors in the game and uh, the ceiling, if the power develops could be massive, but uh, the pitching staff with him really came alive uh, 178 points, despite getting one combined point from Drew Smiley and Emmanuel class a, but uh, one guy I wanted, did want to highlight is Josh Hader was his top scorer with, an, mm-hmm. with 36 points from his relief pitcher spot. Uh, Really, I think Hader's proven he's he, proving he is a legitimate difference maker at the reliever at the reliever position. Uh, he's currently not only the top reliever by the pretty substantial margin, but he's also the third overall pitcher. He's only yeah. he's only two points behind Tyler McGill for the top spot. Not only that, he is only three point nine points behind Ty France for the top overall scorer in the entire league to this point. I know it's early. I know it's early. But Hader has been nothing short of incredible to this point. Getting getting that production from your relief pitcher spot, that cannot be overstated how important that is. Yeah, uh, one thing I yeah. did want to yeah. – oh, go ahead. I was going to say yeah, I was one thing. Say, I, was on the phone, I was on the phone with uh, a buddy of mine that's in a redraft league that I uh, commish, and I compared Josh Hader to the Patrick Mahomes of MLB, meaning like – Yes, there is Josh Allen. There is these other guys, but let's try to be real. Like Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, is still the top guy of quarterbacks. It's Josh Hader, and it's everybody else. And he's he's showing like he's vintage Josh Hader right now. He's going off, and I totally agree. It's been a huge difference maker. I have him in a redraft uh, that redraft league, and. Yeah, it definitely helped me propel my win for sure. I finished with the most points that league or that week. Um, yeah, yeah, it's totally agree. Yeah, I guess one other thing about one other note about Scott's team is I know we were excited about his roster coming in, but I and he just had a massive week. But this is actually I don't think this is how we expected uh, if he was going to have a massive week. I don't think this is how we expected it to happen because the, a lot of the guys we were excited about. Uh, Rodriguez, the prospects that we talked about, didn't he's gotten almost no contributions from any of them. Uh, Rodriguez is starting to heat up a little bit, but he's still striking out too much. Uh, Witt, Torkelson, Abrams, and I'll I'll throw Kellenic in here as well. Uh, they have yet to really flash consistently. I think the one we were excited about Scott's team earlier, we were excited about the uh, the potential of the pitching staff. So, or not the pitching staff, other prospects. Which leads me to the next point. I think the pitching staff here probably overperformed. I don't expect uh, guys like Kyle Hendricks to put up as many points as he, as he did this past week. Um, Miles Michaelis is also a little shaky, Uh, but I do think that this is still very encouraging that the reason Scott Scott showing he can succeed without that boost from the prospects. Uh, So if they come alive, like you said, I think you've really got a contending roster here, Uh, but let's move on to the next one. What is your third takeaway? Well, I don't know if you're going to appreciate this, but is it the end of an era for the Demers? 
And I say that because, so I'm going to pull up the standings real quick. So Courtney's also owned for on myself. You're two and two. Is it the era that is over? Or are we finally seeing the era or of the Andres or the Humeses? I know it's very easy to say, like, okay, you have the pair of the Demers, pair of the Humeses, pair of the Andres. But we just saw Nick last year, not knowing a dang thing about baseball, come up and win this whole league. And right now he's currently in first, and I truthfully think that he's got the best team all in all. And then Nate's always going to be a contender no matter what. We have Scott's team that's coming up. Me, I mean, I know I'm at the last spot in the uh, standings, but I don't know. I know it's a personal thing to say, but I'll let you uh, speak your mind. I'm very curious. I certainly hope. I certainly hope not, but, you know, everybody has to go through – think everybody in this we're we're too good as a league for you to be able to I think win year in and year out without eventually having to go through a rebuild and I'm not trying to make like I'm not making excuses for myself at all or anything no, uh, no, no. I came into this I came into this year obviously trying to win I thought I had the keepers to do it I mean I still do I I I, I think that our league is is so good that and we've gotten better I don't think that it's very easy to do with the amount of roster turnover and the amount of and how big of an advantage certain keepers can give you. I don't think that it's really possible to eventually, like eventually you're going to have to reload. I think is, I guess what I'm trying to get at. Eventually you're going to have to restock. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I think I like, eventually I'm going to have to do something other or, I just have a miracle draft and, you know, restock kind of on the fly, but I think we're too good, too good as a league to just have that be the plan or expect that to happen. So it very well might be the end of an era. I mean, I hope not, but it might be. I totally agree with everything you just said. So I'm going to flip my question. So you and Courtney were running this league for a very long time. I can't remember exactly like how many years you guys were winning championships. So I'm going to reflip the question. Is it the end of an era period? Because you just mentioned like everybody in this league is good. Like I, I truthfully believe that everybody in this league is a quality manager. Some are very good at trading. Like you can think of myself, even though I've done some bad trades in my time, but you know, there, there's multiple ways you can win a league. Me, Nick, and Nate, we love to trade. Whereas you, Jerwin, and Courtney don't particularly trade too much. And then you got guys in the middle ground like Sam, Jordan. Well, Eddie hasn't really traded holds much too. So if I forgot anybody, I'm sorry. But there's definitely like everybody's got their ways of doing it. And I think it all could work out. So what do you think? Do you think the end of an era and period is done? Like we might be seeing a different champion every year. I don't know about every year because I do think like, so. okay. So if I'm going to like, I guess if I'm going to sort of self reflect here on how, what, what has my, when my teams were good in the past, um, uh, when I say like good in the past, I mean like really, 
when I, when I think back to the teams when I came out of the draft and was like, whoa, this team is loaded. It's always had a really good keeper base. And I'm thinking about like what Sam did this last year. He had a bunch of studs. They were all late rounders. And you supplement that them with early round. When you have all your early round picks open, you can supplement them. Your margin for error there is so much wider when you have late keepers like that. Uh, you're, you're just a, like, so for me in 2019, and this is, this sticks out. I had a really good keeper pool. Two of my first three picks were Joey Votto and Noah Syndergaard, and they both bombed. Yet I was still made the championship that year. It really didn't hurt me because my keepers were so good. So that, that just allows you to make more mistakes, take more swings in the draft. Uh, just it, it helps a lot. And I think maybe maybe we even undervalue that a little bit. I don't know that we I don't know that it's hard to quantify what actually makes how, like the value of a keeper. Cause I know that like I drafted Corbin Burns in 2020, I traded Corbin Burns part to get Jacob DeGrom that year, which helped me win the championship that year. But the overall value I would have gotten from Corbin Burns had I kept him, it makes you think maybe it was that, I mean, obviously like, you know, flags fly forever and all that, but uh, was I, was I right to even think about trading Corbin Burns because of how valuable he could be? I don't want to go off on too more too much more of a tangent because we no we have sure. a lot to get we have a lot to get through, yeah. but it's just something to think about. I I've thought about it before. Yeah, uh, I'll, Everybody, I'll everybody's got their strategies. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's tough. It's you know you know hindsight twenty twenty and all, but mm-hmm. uh, I'll quickly run through my my last takeaway. It's not a not anything real big. It's just I was I wanted to highlight the two undefeated teams that are left. Uh, Nick had a really strong showing against Sam. Uh, started his starting pitching was excellent. No starter got fewer than 20 points. Uh, <laughs> his starting pitching alone gained 146.5 points, which was 70% of Sam's total score. So I'm talking just his five starters uh, equaled 70% of Sam's total score, which nine weeks out of 10, usually you're, you're going to win that week if that's the case. But uh, Nick's, title, Nick's title defense could not be off to a stronger start uh, right now. I think my money would definitely be on a rematch of his matchup with Sam happening in the Eastern Division Finals. Uh, I know that we think that I, Beast for to me is is a is a gauntlet, but I think that those two teams right now certainly look like the two top in that division. On the other side, Jordan's team also off to an undefeated start despite the early season struggles by uh, key players Marcus Simeon, Brian Reynolds, and Kyle Tucker. Uh, but Jordan's kind of been able to withstand that in part because of big starts from Ty France, who's the number one player right now and industry darling jazz Chisholm. And he's also done a lot of work to shore up his pitching staff that I know that we weren't sure about heading into the season. He acquired Shane Bieber and Joe Musgrove. Uh, I know that he hasn't scored on the level of Nick or Sam, but I think Jordan's team, um, Maybe not on the level that the, those two teams, but I think that his team does have a higher ceiling than what we've shown. What has he shown so far? Uh, if Reynolds, Tucker, and Simeon uh, start to get on the right track, uh, the pitching still is is good. Uh, you can look out; he might be. He's probably the favor right now coming out of the other division, but again, it's still early. Uh, overall, I, I, though, looking at his roster, I don't think his team has a lot of holes. Uh, this might be the most complete team in that division. His team reminds me real quick, and then we'll cut it off. His team reminds me a lot of the team that I had last year. Heavy strong offense. Strong offense, and you have a three-headed monster in your pitching. 
Plus, he's got Kopech in that relief pitching spot. Reminds me a lot of my team, which went to the championship. So, Jordan, go for it, man. Yeah, the, the year of Jordan. Everything looks like it is breaking right so far. Uh, let's move on to our top three standings update in the a little bit of a shakeup here in the East Division. Freedom All-Stars. Nick is 4-0. He's in the top spot. Uh, in second place, good on paper, which is Sam, the 3-1. and one. Uh, Despite the head-to-head loss, he still finished ahead of the median. But a terrible, terrible median from this last week. Uh, in third, taking, taking my spot is the NFT's JC at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, now heading over to the West Division, we have the Walk Institute of Research, Jordan at 4-0 in first. Uh, and second is Gone Forever, Eddie at 3-1. and one. Uh, He was able to sustain his performance and kept his spot in second place. Uh, and then moving to third is Nate Demons in the infield at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Just coming off a lot, coming off a 0-2 week versus Jordan. So let's move on now to the trade portion of the podcast. And uh, no surprise here, Mike is involved in both of these. Uh, So let's start with the first one. Mike gives Jerickson Profar and Joe Musgrove. Jordan gives Pablo Lopez and Tim Anderson. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you lead us off here just on your, just your, your thoughts on this one. You don't have to declare a winner, but what was, what was your thought process for this trade? Sure. Um, so you spoke of Jazz Chisholm there not too long ago. So, by the way, I know I like to do trades, but I have not reached out to anybody about trades. Everybody's been coming to me. So that's been nice to know. But anyway, I think it was like week one, Jordan came up to me about Jazz Chisholm. And I know it's probably not right to say, but I'll tell you the whole breakdown. It was for Tristan McKenzie for Jazz Chisholm. One, right now, I regret it. But at the same time, I don't have a whole lot of depth in my pitching, so I couldn't afford to do that. But anyway, I messaged Jordan the other day. Hey, is Jazz Chisholm still available? And he goes, yeah, of course. And we were just chit-chatting, you know, shooting the – well, yeah, I can still swear. We were shooting the shit, just talking, whatever. Uh, he wanted Musgrove, and I was like, uh, I don't know. He's got really good keep value. He's been doing very well lately. Started talking a little bit more. He knew that I had interest in Tim Anderson when he first came to me uh, with the Jazz Chisholm and McKenzie trade. Started getting to uh, talk a little bit more, and my initial thought was I knew Trevor Story was going to get second base eligibility pretty soon. And I still was looking for that hole at shortstop until Tatis comes back. And then just started going to talk a little bit more, and we finally came to the agreement of Pablo Lopez and Tim Anderson for Musgrove. And pro, uh, Drewkerson Pro Four. I, it, the hardest part for me in that trade, it wasn't even moving Musgrove, it was moving Pro Four because one, he could play first base, second base, and then he has all outfield eligibility 
And so far, so late, he's been proving to us why he was the number one prospect for a reason. He's hitting the ball good. No, he's doesn't. He's not hitting for a lot of power, but he's getting good contact. He's walking, and he he can play almost seventy percent of any position in our league, and that carries value, in my opinion. He reminds. I told Jordan that he reminds me a lot of last year's Tommy Edmond, but I think with way more upside because he was a top prospect for a time. However, I'm a big fan of Pablo Lopez. I, I don't have any shares of him and I just kind of want to see what he's all about. And it's funny, you know, as soon as me and Jordan did that trade, he texted me that night that Pablo went off. Oh, you got a real good dude right there. And I told him, I was like, what are you talking about? Because like, you know, I'm getting a Pablo Lopez and Tim Anderson and I wasn't watching the game. I wasn't keeping like up to date. And he goes, Pablo and I looked and I'm like holy smokes okay you know I mean maybe this will actually work out but again at the same time it was me more or less the biggest piece I wanted to get was Tim Anderson so I can fill out my offense more have wiggle room put Tatis in that utility whenever he comes back so I know I just went on a tangent but but I also think too that Jordan got a really good part of that deal Musgrove's been very very good lately he might be the next Garrett Cole when it comes to the Pirates pitchers that was a joke by the way but no all in all I think it was a really cool deal and then you know it sparked the interest it definitely piqued your interest with the bug-eyed emojis so see how it works out yeah this is an interesting one I like Joe Musgrove quite a bit um I have him Inside my top 20. Uh, Pablo Lopez, I haven't been quite as high on. I know the upside's tantalizing, but he has a history of shoulder problems, and uh, that scared me off a little bit of drafting him. I, I haven't really drafted him anywhere. Uh, I've never been a huge Tim Anderson guy, but I think that's – I think he's improved enough where that's probably not warranted. I, I think early, early years, uh, Tim Anderson kind of spooked me there. But this is an interesting one because if Pablo Lopez stays stays healthy, he's he's displayed enough this year to make me think that uh, inning for inning he could he could be comparable to Musgrove, and I I would definitely think that Anderson would be would be better than Profar, even though I think Profar is much improved. It's always it's always nice to have a multi position eligibility guy around. It's they just make your life really convenient. Yep. Uh, but I think, I think what does, I think right now I would say that Jordan got the better end because I like the keeper value combined with the high end talent when Musgrove, but that's also me not expecting Pablo Lopez to, uh, I guess, be healthy all year. I still think that the shoulder's a little bit, I think the shoulder is still a little bit shaky as it's not just this year. He's had, he's had it or not this year. It's not just last year. It's been a couple seasons where he's had a little bit, but that's been a little bit of a problem, but I know that other people are a lot higher on him than I am. And I can't really deny the upside. I don't think they're that far off if they, if they pitch around the same amount of innings. So uh, all in all, I, like, I don't think, I don't think he got, I don't think he got hosed here, but. No, no, I, I definitely agree with that. So. All right, we'll move on to a much smaller one, which you're also involved in. J.C. Yep. Grip gives Chris Flexen 
and you gave Alec Bohm. I think that's how you say his last name. I'm not sure. Uh, I guess my quick hitting thoughts on this one was um, there's not a whole lot to say here. I don't really, I, I was, I've never really been a big flexing guy. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't, I, I know that some people were excited about Bohm's swing change and all that stuff, but I'm not totally convinced that he's going to suddenly revert back to being a startable player. So I don't really think that there's much to much to dive in on this one. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, more or less in the agreement. Uh, you know, JC wanted to try to do a little bit of a bigger trade in the beginning, and I already did two big trades back-to-back, and I wasn't trying to shake up my roster a whole ton. So Bohm was obviously involved with the original, like, big trade. I said, well, are you cool with doing, like, a smaller trade? You know, I need some rotation in my pitching. He's got a decent amount of it. And it was between Chris Flexen or Marco Gonzalez. I like Flexen a little bit more. I know you like Gonzalez a little bit more. Uh, it's just one of those things. There's a need for need because he, Donaldson, he told me Donaldson's not really showing a whole lot for him. He was curious to maybe find a replacement. As soon as I just said that, I realized that everybody's going to go after Donaldson now. <laughs> but no, it was more or less just need for need, me getting rotation in my pitching and him just having a backup plan. So more or less, that's what it was. All right. So that is your trade talk for this week. But now we're, while we just spoke about trades that have happened, uh, now we're going to go into some trades that maybe we think should happen or maybe not. Uh, so we're going to do some mock trades here. Basically, we just took a look at some other some, some of the teams in the league. I didn't do any for my own team. Uh, I was trying to hit some of the teams that didn't have any trades yet. I know that I didn't totally accomplish that, but that was kind of the thought process. We're going to go through and we're going to see uh, maybe just do a little bit of mock trades here. So I'll give I'll I'll give out my first one and you can give me your thoughts on it. Sure. So this first one is between Scott and JC. So for this one, Scott gives Nolan Arenado. And Taiwan Walker, JC gives Alec Manoa. Now, before you say anything, my reasoning for this, Scott is one of the few teams who can move the third baseman. I uh, can shift Franco over. He still has wit on the bench. Uh, like I said earlier, I think his pitching staff overperformed a little bit this, this past week. I think it's kind of a little bit hard to trust Kyle Hendricks, uh, Drew Smiley, Miles Michaelis to be consistent contributors. Uh, his depth just took a hit with the loss of John Means. And I think that his pitching staff is built is built more for the floor rather than the ceiling. I know that Aaron Nola has a higher ceiling, but uh, the upside beyond him, Jose Barrios, it's not real high. Kyle Hendricks, he's more of a floor guy. Michaelis, another one. None of them really have ace ceilings. But going by my rankings, Manoa would be Scott's number two pitcher. And, we, and I, in my opinion, he has much higher upside than any of his current secondary options after Nola. And on the other side, this would sure up third base for JC for sure. I know that he just traded for Bohm. But it would be a really nice addition to have Arenado uh, at third base where you know that he's going to be solid. You're not going to have to replace him. And it's going to be pretty – you're probably getting a top five option at the position. So what are your thoughts on this on this trade? Should this happen? So just to reiterate, Scott gives Nolan Arenado and Taiwan Walker. JC gives Alec Manoa. I – 
It's tricky. I don't think it should happen. And I say that only because I like Aaron Otto's track history a whole lot more. And it's looking like he's prime Aaron Otto right now. Manoa has been off to a great start. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and he was really good last year as well. It would solidify a lot of things with Scott's pitching. But if you're getting a – if you have a top 10 batter right now, which Aaron Otto is proving it to be right now, and Manoa might be a top 20, top 25 starter, I'm taking the hitter every single time, every single time. Would it okay, be a so bad somebody, So if somebody says no, you think it's going to be – it should be Scott should not take the deal. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, lay it I, on me. What's your first trade? Your first mock it's trade? Big, it's a big one. So it is – pulling it up here real quick. It is Nick trading away Kyle Schwarber, Stephen Kwan, Ronzi Contreras, and Sirocco to – Jordan for Kyle Tucker. I say that because one, I know Nick likes to do big trades. Trust me. He's came to me a lot trying to do big trades. But in the same time, I'm looking at Jordan's outfield right now. You have Brian Reynolds at the left field spot. You have Jock Peterson center field. And then you have Pro 4 at the right field. I like Pro 4 a lot. I think that would be a good spot to have. But again, it's a very big question mark. Very big question mark. So is Stephen Kwan. However, I think all in all, Schwarber is a very interesting play to have. I'm not a huge, huge fan of him. But Brian Reynolds has just been off to a very sluggish start right now. Same with Kyle Tucker. I know he's got a Rosarina, but it's it's almost like the same thing. Like a Rosarina, he might be one of those guys. Like think of like a Joe Burrow in football, where you know they're pretty good in the regular season. Come playoff time, they're like they they prove that why they're a top ten player. But fantasy wise, he might not be like big time guy. So it more or less solidifies his outfield. It gives him more wiggle room to play with. Stroko has a lot of potential as well. Contreras, I mean, yes, they did send him back down. But he's proven that he's got a lot of upside. It's more or less how well Nick can negotiate and how comfortable Jordan is with his team. It's it's Jordan taking a risk, 100%. Don't get me wrong. But come around playoff time, if Contreras is back, if Sirocco is back, Schwarber picks it up, and Stephen Kwan isn't a quote-unquote and a kill Badu, which is what I said uh, like a few days ago in the group message. It's more depth and pretty high upside. So that's my first one. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But I know Nick likes to do big trades. Kyle Tucker's been struggling. 
And I bet you any dollar he's came to Jordan already about Kyle Tucker. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I would say no from Jordan's end. And one reason is I, I honestly cannot wrap my head around and anything above like one for three. Like one for three is probably the absolute limit. Just I would go just for me. But I, anything mm-hmm. large, anything larger than that, where there's like a three player difference between the two teams, I, I can't wrap my wrap my mind around that. I would rather just avoid it if I can. But I, I do like, yeah, I do like Schwarber. Uh, yeah, I like Contreras. Um, but I also do like Tucker a lot. So I would rather, I would rather have the. There's just there's too many pieces coming towards uh, coming to Jordan. He's not gonna be able to start them all. I would rather. It is just it's it's I, I can't wrap my head around anything where there's like three extra players moving from one team to another. The only reason I said that is because I'm sure you've negotiated with Nick before. He 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 does a lot of those like three for ones, two for ones, maybe four for a two. And initially I just saw it. They're the top two teams right now in the standing. So first thing that came to my head. Yeah, well, these—I mean, these are just—you'll you know, see my last ones kind of out there as well. But uh, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get my second one. So this is this is this is partially inspired by a trade that did occur last year, and it's between these two exact teams. So this is between Sam and Jerwin, but it's flipped the other way. I know Jerwin's not gonna be happy because you know he's positive vibes and everything. I'm not saying he's tanking by no means, just that he doesn't have a whole lot of keepers right now. That's all mm-hmm. I'm saying. So in this mock trade, Sam gives Dylan Cease and David Bednar. Jerwin gives Lucas Giolito and Craig Kimbrell. Now, this is inspired by the Burns trade last year. And I, I know there were secondary pieces, but I don't remember. The meat and potatoes of the deal was uh, Aaron Nola and Trey Turner for Curb and Burns. This Giolito or Cease is not Burns. So that's just to get that out of the way. That's why I did this on a little bit of a smaller scale. Uh, I, th- I think that even though he's not Burns and he does have warts, uh, the upside upside's tantalizing. So that could be could pay off handsomely as a keeper. Uh, I started to warm up to Giolito towards the end of spring training. Um, before I know a lot of I saw this him being compared to uh, like premium Jose Barrios for a while. Nobody thought he had that next gear, but. Then he showed up the spring training with extra, with a little bit of uh, increased velocity, and uh, lo and behold, that has stuck. The strikeouts have been there, and uh, I think that a true SP one outcome that we've been looking for is definitely possible. Uh, on the other side, Craig Kimbrell, closer for the Dodgers, arguably a top five option, definitely is for me. Uh, I think he has the upside to post. SP two numbers. I already know we already talked about Josh Hader. I don't think he's going to post Hader numbers, but I think he could be in the tier right below that, which is still pretty big impact. Uh, I know he won't want to do this because he's competing and Giolito is basically Jerowin's son, but this feels like a trade that wouldn't totally torpedo Jerowin's chances to compete this year while allowing him to add a keeper and cease to a pool that looks to be very shallow. On the other side, Sam upgrades both positions and starting pitcher and reliever. Uh, getting a true impact player in both. And um, it adds to a roster that we've already suggested might already be the most talented in the league, if not in the, definitely in the top three. So the trade, Sam gives Dylan Cease and David Bednar 
Jerwin gives Lucas Giolito and Craig Kimbrell. Should this happen? And if not, who says no? Hmm. One more time, repeat it again. Sam gives Dylan Cease and David Bednar. Jerwin gives Lucas Giolito and Craig Kimbrell. I think that's a pretty fair trade, honestly. Um, you know, Sam's obviously up there in the standings, where Jerwin is, I believe, ninth. But I, I, I know Jerwin enough that, especially last year, he was in the bottom of the standings, and his keeper pull wasn't really good last year. So I don't think that his mindset's going to change completely, like a 360. Should it happen? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're in the spot that me, Jerwin, are in, like I said before we started the podcast, I already knew that I was going to be in this position for a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, honestly, I mean, it's very, it's always very good to have good keepers because the keepers that I chose to keep, that was it. There was nobody else I was going to keep. When you have multiple keep potential keepers, you have so much wiggle room. You know, your team goes on a hot streak. Cool. I'm going to start training these guys and getting bigger pieces and make a run. G Leader, like, I'm not a huge, huge, huge fan of him. And Dylan Cease is younger. Better keep avail- uh, availability. If I was Sherwin, yeah, I would do it, hundred percent. All right, so I finally, so I got one at least. I think I'm going to cut us off at two. So let's give uh, let's give your last one here for uh, what 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 is your other trade here or your other mock trade? Oh, well, it involves me. Last one. Well, not last one. I have another one. As much as it pains me to say this, pains me, pains me, pains me. I trade Fernando Tatis and Brandon Nimbo plus Jordan Montgomery for Garrett Cole and Starling Marte to Sam. I think all in all, this helps reshape my team to get back into winning. Even though Tatis is my favorite player, I think, yes, Garrett Cole put up a 30-point performance. And I think Nimmo has a lot of, I don't want to say potential. You know what you're going to get from Nimmo. But Tatis, that it factor. He, he, I know a lot of people are worried that when he comes actually like back, that he's not going to have a lot of power. I think when you're at the top of that position, especially as a bat, not, not even just a shortstop, but as a hitter and the, the, the factor that he has yet, it's a sexy thing to look at. Jordan Montgomery, you know, it, it could either be him McKenzie or Kluber doesn't matter. 
Either way, by the way, Sam, if you're listening to this, this is an official trade negotiation. Get a hold of me. But I think that could potentially be something. Yeah, I think for me, I'm I'm not I'm a little more conservative, so I would rather. I don't know that I could do anything with Tatis unless I was getting him very cheaply until closer to he re- he returns. I don't know if you saw this video where he was playing soccer in the outfield and he like really took a spill. He just doesn't. I, I don't know, man. That's that's scary. He, he, to me. he felt like right on a, his wrist. <laughs> he's got a weird body, but when he's playing, man, he. When have you seen such an electrifying player? I mean, I'm I know not it's down on the talent at all. I'm just I, saying I know he just doesn't seem like he's he's the Christian very careful here. <laughs> I, I've told Nate this multiple, multiple times. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the Christian McCaffrey of fantasy baseball. When he's on and he's playing, he's the best. He 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 will get you those points that are guaranteed bona fide points. Garrett Cole, I'll talk about him later, but it would solidify my position or uh, my pitching. Well, maybe not completely. I would still have like one guy that I'm a little shaky on. However, I've never played the pitching game. I've always been offensive, offensive heavy, and it might be a change. It might be me wanting to say like, all right, I'm going to play this pitching game. So, Sam, when you listen to this podcast, get a hold of me. You know my right, So there you have it. Those are That is our uh, mock trades. We had a couple more, but we're running a little over, and I do want to get to this next segment that I've been very excited about, which is our first starting pitcher rankings debate. Uh, I guess it's not really a true rankings debate. It's more just uh, Mike telling me what problems he has with my rankings. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically what's going to happen here, because we're going to bring this back hopefully uh, a couple times. I don't know how often, but uh, so I'm going to, I'm keeping a running list of my starting pitcher rankings for this year for our league. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to probably make like weekly updates this year. So anytime we have a guest come on the podcast, if we're going to do this segment, I will email them my starting pitcher rankings, the latest version. I'll email them an Excel file with it. They can pick a couple guys they want to talk about. They think that I'm either too low or too high on, and we'll come here and debate it on the podcast. Uh, a couple rules, though. Uh, the rankings do not include injured players. Um, I spent too long trying to figure out where to put DeGrom, so I said, screw it. I'm just going to put him nowhere. I'm going to put him on a different tab. So that's what I did. So if they're on the I.L., I removed them entirely from the rankings. I know other people don't do that, but uh, these are my rankings, so I get to do whatever I want. Uh, these are also strictly redraft rankings, so I did not factor keeper and keeper values here. I figured that would make it a little easier to debate, to debate if somebody wanted to bring other rankings that they look at, maybe from other experts on the show. No, nobody has uh, nobody has our rankings that are specifically tailored for our league, including keepers or including keeper values in that. So I thought it was best that uh, I made it sort of a strictly a redraft ranking where we can really debate just for the end of this year. Um, and the third rule is uh, if we have a strong, if we have, you, you get bonus points if you get me to uh, agree to move the player on the podcast. So those oh. are the rules. 
Uh, All right. We're going to start with a player that, and Mike told me which players he was going to, we were going to talk about here. Uh, so our first round here of, uh, of debate here is Nestor Cortez. You think that I am too low on him. Uh, I currently have him as starting pitcher 45. Why do you think that I am too low on Nestor Cortez? So I'm looking at your uh, rankings right now. Why do I think that you're a little bit low on him? Well, first of all, he's been very good as of late. He's pitching into – you look at his last performance against Cleveland. He pitched 6.1 innings, had eight strikeouts, two ERs. However, you look at his last performance – 12 strikeouts, walked one person, no ERs, only allowed three hits. Why do I have him low? Because I truthfully, in my opinion, do not believe that he is ahead of Alex or that he is below Alex Wood. He's Lucizardo, who has been in my opinion, personally, a complete bum up until he went to Miami. It's you, – you talked about Pablo Lopez, how there's people that are fans of him and people who are not. Well, Luzardo has shown me nothing to be a massive fan of. I understand his fastball has increased a well amount, but I definitely believe Cortez is a – higher than him. Carrasco has been hurt for multiple years. Joe Ryan, I mean, we're waiting to see about him. I I do like Joe Ryan, but Cortez right now, what he's showing me, consistency at at a very high level at the moment, it's kind of hard for me to say that Joe Ryan's ahead of him. Sandoval, Eva Dolly, Trevor Rogers, who Again, it, it, everybody's got people they like, and that's their guy. But in my opinion, I just listed off four guys that I think Cortez is better than. In my personal opinion, Barreos, I mean, we're, he's up there. I like Barreos. I think he's got a lot of potential. He pitches for volume. Hugh Darvish hasn't been anything special as of right now, I'm not even just looking up numbers. I'm looking up, like, I know that Cortez, I looked it up, he's getting strikeouts, he's making hitters miss, and the innings have been increasing every single time that he's pitching. So it's looking like he might be right behind Garrett Cole for the Yankees, the next high-volume pitcher. Which that translates very well, in my opinion. And I, it's funny that I say that you have him very low because when we were drafting and Nate drafted him, because I was with Nate, I flat out told him, who, who, who's Cortez? Because, I mean, I, I personally did not know. And he goes, he's going to be the next Sparp. Like Freddie Peralta. I'm like, no, no. Well, he's proven it to me now. So 
I think out of the guys that I mentioned that I think he's better than right now, it's proven though. Well, so we uh, we do we disagree a lot on him then because I you named you Darvish. I have him all the way up at SP twenty nine, which I, I know that's a little lower than where some people have Darvish, but still that's so you really have a lot much faith in Cortez. You'd have him as a top thirty pitcher, maybe. I, I understand that I, I understand that Darvish was a former Cy Young. Totally get it, but he has not been the same guy since. And go off of a uh, my my opinion with with rankings, whether that's basketball, football, baseball. Show me what you have done in the past two to three years. However, however, we saw an instant rise with Robbie Ray, Kevin Gosman, who I will touch upon here in a little bit. And you have them all the way up into that top 12 range. Cortez has been showing it off the whole time. He's striking out a lot of people. He just had 12 strikeouts his last game. And he's with, pains me to say it, probably the most marketed team in baseball when I'm a Dodgers fan. But he might just be that missing piece the Yankees have been waiting and dying for. I understand that Severino's came back, and I know that Yankees fans – and the team in itself is excited for that. But right now he's he's impressed me a lot. And I think he's definitely he can... he's definitely been impressive. I think okay, so I'm gonna say the reason that I won't move him up higher than I currently have him, which I have moved him up quite a bit because I will say preseason, I believe I had him outside my top 100. I didn't really buy the stuff. I thought he was a lot of smoke and mirrors because he relies on a lot of stuff like the kind of it's kind of gimmicky, like the uh, the changing his windup and arm angles. But while that does make him a really fun pitcher, I didn't think that he he didn't ever really flash high velocity, didn't really have any plus pitches. So I didn't think that that was really, you know, a sustainable approach. But one thing, you know, that can really validate a breakout is you look and see if there was a real change that was made. And with Cortez, there was uh, he just he got basically revamped his cutter over the offseason and turned it into a legitimate weapon. Yep. After throwing, he threw it only 5% of the time last year, but this year it is his most thrown pitch at 39% of the time, which he pairs with his fastball. Uh, The approach has really worked. Uh, The rest of the arsenal is more solid than spectacular. He's got a deep arsenal, but no no other pitches really stand out the way that cutter does. Uh, So the cutter really is the key to the breakout. I guess the reason I'm not going to move him up ahead of guys like uh, some of these other breakout pitchers, you know, I have Luzardo right ahead of him. Kopech's right ahead of him. McGill's right ahead of him. Uh, so is Kyle Wright. I have him right there with those other breakout pitchers. Um, the reason he's a little bit behind, I don't think we can expect Cortez to throw 160 innings for sure in his first full season. Because we got to keep in mind, he was in the bullpen last year for most of the year. Uh, he only threw 93 innings last year. Um, I'm not doubting his ability to get stretched out. I'm just I, – I don't think that 160 innings, the jump there – I don't think that's reasonable to expect that, that kind of volume out of him. Even 140 might be a little bit of a stretch, whereas guys like McGill, uh, Luzardo, Alex Wood even, I I think that the innings are a little more reasonable 
um, they kind of fall into the, they almost fall into the category where I think that they're, if they're healthy, they'll be good. Whereas Cortez, I, I could see him starting to tire because he, the innings jump later in the year, if he stays healthy all year and doesn't get shut down at all, especially if he keeps the current workload that he has right now, like he even said, he's pitching deeper into games. Well, if he starts doing that all year, that's going to be a pretty significant jump. And I'm just, I'm not sure that it's reasonable to expect that, but yeah, I, I, I buy the breakout. Like I said, there was a real change made. The cutter is a legit whiff pitch and it could propel him forward. I, I the, the jump for Freddie Peralta, you said, made the, he made the same jump. Uh, I don't know if the exact numbers in front of me, but it was the same it was the same idea there where he was in the bullpen the previous year. I believe he went out and pitched, I want to say it was between 140 and 160 innings, but I don't have the exact number. So sure. possible, but uh, early on, especially small sample size, I'm going to be a little more conservative. Um, I'm not moving guys crazy amount, but – it does sound like you do really buy the the Cortez breakout. I do too. I'm just not ready to jump him over some more established options quite yet. Uh, so the second guy that we're going to talk about, and we're going to flip this a little bit, because you think that I am too low on Clayton Kershaw, who I have yep. currently as my starting pitcher, 23. Why am I too low on Clayton Kershaw? Because when he's healthy, he's a top five pitcher. And there's no reason – and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Dodgers fan. When he's healthy, he controls the mound. His curveball is still one of the best in baseball. I'm pulling it up real quick. He's not – he hasn't walked anybody in his three starts. Hasn't walked anybody. And his first game, actually, well, back in uh, early April – on the pace for a no-hitter, like prime Clayton Kershaw, and they pulled him out. Yes, of course, because they don't want him to get hurt. But when he's healthy, in my personal opinion, and I think more or less anybody can can agree with this, that a healthy Clayton Kershaw is right up there with the best. That first game, excuse me, that game in April, April 13th against Minnesota, where Minnesota's been a pretty surprisingly decent team. Seven innings, 13 strikeouts, no hits, on pace for a no-hitter. And you expect that from Clayton Kershaw. You expect him to do that. And when you have expectations like that, I think you are a top five top 10 pitcher. Like, I understand I, why you ranked him at, I understand why you ranked, uh, it was 23, right? Yeah, 23. I understand that. I, I, I looked, I was doing my research when you came to me about this and a lot of people are, or experts or anybody that's doing rankings are, they all have them right around that ballpark. Totally get it. But in my opinion, when he's healthy, he is right up there with everybody, just like Justin Verlander, who you had a sixth. The Verlander it's comparison the, is, is interesting. I think the I it's, think it's, for, it's, the, it's the health factor. It's more or less like he is not proven to stay healthy 
But when he's healthy, he is right up there with Verlander. He's right there with him. Absolutely. He, I, I, I he love has it. three wins. Three wins right now. I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep interrupting. Yes, he had, a bad, he had a bad performance with Atlanta, but Atlanta was the reigning World Series champions. He lit up four ERs, six hits, still got the win, seven strikeouts. Didn't walk anybody. Like, he's proving to you that he's controlling the mound. He's getting the wins. Granted, you might be on the best team in baseball. But still, like, in my opinion, when he's all full ready to go, just like Verlander, he's right up there. Would you have him ranked up near Verlander? As you said, I have Verlander at six. So where would you place where would you place Kershaw on this ranking? As of right now. As of right now. Like we're looking rest of the season, where would you put him? Top 12. Okay. I just want to get like a ballpark where you have him. Cause I was yeah, I guess I for was, me, Kershaw, like you even mentioned, it's it's the hell a lot of it's the health. And I I mean the Verlander comparison is interesting. I think Verlander has a little more strikeout upside, but both are there it's they're definitely comparable pitchers. I guess yep. for me, Verlander has doesn't have these recurring health problems. It, it's weird to say that a 39-year-old coming off Tommy John surgery is less of an injury risk than somebody else. But in this case, I do think he is. Uh, Kershaw oh. had a UCL issue last year. Thought maybe he was going to get Tommy's on, Tommy John surgery. He didn't need to. But more worrying to me is the recurring back issue that he's had yep. going back a number of years. I've always said this. And you're, I, I would, I, I want to rank Kershaw as high as I possibly can. He's been my, he's been my guy for so many years. Yep. Uh, I think I drafted him like four years in a row at the beginning of the league or three he's, years or he, something like that. As a Dodgers fan, he's my favorite player. He, he's probably my favorite pitcher. That yep. I, that I, I can't say enough nice things about Clayton Kershaw. I lo- love the guy. It's the health problems. He's never going to be bad for you while he's healthy. He never has been. He's never been bad while he's been healthy. This ranking, though, I think is based on the health risk. And when you get up this high, I think you can't, when you're ranking inside the top 25, I think you can start to be a little bit more nitpicky with how you're picking apart pitchers. For me, it's Kershaw. I, it's, I think it's the health problems because as you get higher up, you get with the only exception in my top 10. So, the way that I'm, I guess, a little bit of how I'm ranking the, at the top of the board here, I want a combination of uh, skill and innings. The only exception in that top part is Carlos Rodon, and that's just because he's been otherworldly this year. And yep. I, he's second only to Jacob deGrom. I think that he, he's the only one that I have up there where I don't think there's really many innings concerns. I think Kershaw's ranking here has just as much to do with who's ahead of him and I also, the top of my rankings, I didn't want to shake up too much from preseason, um, at least not yet. I, I, I've given right, right ahead of I – have, I have Freddie Peralta as my starting pitcher at 22. I have given thought to moving him below uh, Kersh- not only Kershaw, but also McClanahan and Manoa, who are right, right behind Kershaw. Uh, but after, after him, it gets really tricky because I, I really, really like a lot of the pitchers ahead of him. Uh, I know that maybe, maybe I'm just like basking in the glory that was Otani's last start. So I know that he also has innings concerns. So 
maybe there's something there, but I, that, that Otani start, man, that was one of the best pitching performances I've ever seen. Yeah, I definitely agree. I was, I was thinking about him when we were and, talking and about this. Even just ahead of Otani, I really like Frankie Montas a lot. Uh, he's a good bet for a lot of sure. volume. He's been taking, he's been great thus far. He's taken a big step forward with his slider, which is really encouraging because if the splitter doesn't have to do all the work, then there may be even more strikeout upside than we thought. Uh, I'm not really a huge Aaron Nola fan, but it, again, I think that the, the ceiling is, well, maybe not Pete Kershaw. It's pretty close. Well, I guess not. Okay, I should say so, Pete Kershaw, so but it's. Here's what I'm saying. Aaron Nola, his ceiling is high, but how low is his floor? See, I don't know that his floor is. is his floor may, is probably what we saw last year. That's lower than what Kershaw's is, but I also think that Nola, at were at at the very least, Nola's going to give you a lot of volume, and I yeah. I do think he'll be better than he was last year. Even like Joe Musgrove ahead of him, another case, he's going to get you a lot of volume. Gigolito, I like him a lot. Uh, I guess one guy I haven't mentioned yet is Charlie Morton. I know the results haven't yep. been there. I have moved down Morton since preseason. Charlie Morton has higher. always been. Charlie Morton has always been because I've I've had him in multiple like. Well, in this league, in period, like he's always that guy that he's the second half guy, always. I guess I'm at the I'm at the place with Charlie Morton right now where nothing under the hood to me really looks overly concerning, and mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not like I said I did not make a whole lot of changes to the top of my rankings. These have not moved a whole lot. Yeah, you know, really, the biggest movers for me was I moved Verlander and Rodon into my top ten, and they were but they weren't really that far down to begin with. Uh, and sure. then I move some of the velocity guys down or the, uh, the velocity guys, the questionable velocity guys, mm-hmm. but I haven't really moved these a whole lot. So I'm not over, I'm not panicking a whole lot over Morton quite yet, but I get uh, Kershaw. It has everything to do with who's ahead of him. Not necessarily. It's not really necessarily a knock on him. I just feel more confident in the combination of innings and the quality of those innings that I'm getting out of the guys ahead of him than I do from him. But I, I could definitely see moving him up, uh, definitely ahead of Otani, maybe ahead of Otani. Um, it'd be tricky for me to get him up there farther than that right now, but yeah, maybe. It's tricky. I like Kershaw a lot. I like I said, he's. Probably my I think he. I think. Prime Kershaw is right up there, with guys like Woodruff, Euler, but it's a matter of fact. Can he actually be healthy for a whole year? Well, I'll say prime, like prime Kershaw. If we're talking like 2015, okay, 2014 well, he, Kershaw, he's, that's he's, like he's better than yeah. everybody in yeah, this he's, ranking. He's, but he's never going to get to that like prime. prime no, no, no. But if he if he can get to eighty percent of that, he's right up there. Yeah, I guess the ceiling the ceiling that we've seen from him. Yeah, he, he'd probably be around a top twelve pitcher. Um, I'm not ready to. I can't, I don't think I can commit to that though, because I don't have a guarantee. Uh, if this was MLB the show and I could turn off injuries, absolutely. He'd be top 12, but uh, right. right now I can't. So I'm going to, I think, I think this is an appropriate spot for him right now, but I do, I definitely see some upward movement if uh, especially some of these guys continue to struggle or if he continues to show what he's shown this year, but this leads us to our final debate which is I, I coined the my it's the main event here. This is the one that Mike disagrees with me the most 
So I coined this as the most egregious ranking that I should be ashamed of. And because of this ranking should never be allowed to rank again. And for Mike, this guy is Kevin Gosman, who I have at starting pitcher nine. I have him inside my top 10. Uh, and Mike does not agree. Mike thinks this is far too high. So Mike, why is this the most egregious ranking that I should be ashamed of? And because of this ranking should never be allowed to rank again. <laughs> uh, because one, Kevin Gosman had one good year. One good year. Nobody knew about him last year. Except for like, I don't know, maybe like you and Nate who are nerds with it when it comes to baseball. But besides that point, you put him ahead, Shane Bieber, who Shane Bieber has shown a proven track record that he has all the talent in the world and was a former Cy Young winner. And not even to mention that, you put him ahead of Robbie Ray, who was last year's Cy Young winner. Then you have Zach Wheeler, Julio uh, Urias, who Urias, yeah, okay, well, he might not have been as surprising as Gosman as last year, but let's not forget this. Urias was the only pitcher last year to get 20-plus wins, and he has been proven to getting better and better and better every season. Every season. And then you have Max Fried, who is, in my opinion, the ace of the World Series team. And then you have a Tawny. Can you comfortably say right now, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to ask you a question. On a pitch-by-pitch -pitch basis, who is better, Otani or Gosman? I'm actually going to say that they're pretty close to equal. I don't have nearly as much confidence in Otani's innings, though, that I do with Gosman. Well, I feel I, I, my, my confidence in Kevin Gosman for that combo of innings and quality of innings, my confidence that, that I look for for the top of my rankings, my confidence in Kevin Gosman is very, very high. But how do you put Kevin Gosman ahead of Robbie Bray, who – Last year was on the same team as Gosman, won the Cy Young. Like that's where that that's where I'm like confused about. And okay, so I guess like Bieber. the uh, well, it seems like you're talking about all the guys. So I just like just real quickly, I'm gonna. I didn't have. I didn't originally have Gosman preseason. Obviously, I didn't have him ahead of those guys. The block that you're kind of referencing. These are the four questionable velocity. All seeing their velocity drop over the first couple starts. Uh, Shane, obviously, varying degrees. I have different opinions about all of them, but Shane Bieber, Robbie Ray, Zach Wheeler, and Julio Arias. I had I had all of them ranked ahead of Gosman preseason, um, but their their velocity has all been down uh, to start the year. So that seems to be the block that you're referencing here and a little bit beyond yeah. that. I do really like Logan Webb, Max Freed, Lucas Gilito. I like all of them. Um, I think I, I have my preseason rank pulled up. Um, it looks like Gosman. Where did I have him? Okay. So I had him behind the, those guys. Uh, he was, but he was, um, 
I, I had Verlander and Rodon behind him. They've moved ahead of him. I also had Giolito and Morton ahead of him. I since moved them behind him. So all in all, uh, he's moved up four total spots from where I had him in the preseason. Um, and it looks like those four guys that he's jumped are all the velocity guys. So I guess for me, like, I don't see many question marks with Kevin Gosman right now. Like, I don't have – I had doubts. I didn't like the schedule. Uh, Toronto's a tough place to pitch. Um, splitter can go in and out, get a bad second half. But I, I just – seeing his results thus far – He's he's been excellent. I, I just he looks like the guy that we saw in the first half. And I guess like I he so far survived a tough schedule. Texas looks like they're they're a, at least a pretty good offense. Uh, he went and he got a tough luck loss against the Yankees. He went into Fenway and pitched eight shutout innings. He has yet to walk a batter. Twenty two strikeouts. Yep. Uh Especially like I referenced that day in Fenway, that was when I really was like, "Whoa, this good. That, that that quelled all my doubts." He got 19 whiffs on 88 pitches on the road against the Red Sox. I don't think it can be discounted that he has the Blue Jays' offense backing him. One of the best offenses in baseball. It's probably going to be in line for wins. He gets plenty of innings. Honestly, I don't. Like I said, pitchers being ranked this high have to have a combination of innings and talent. Again, Carlos Rodon, he's the only exception, but he's kind of spoken for himself. He has Gosman, also given he's also given up 21 hits in three his past three pitching performances. 21 hits. Now I understand that like hits don't always mean anything. But still, that's a good amount. Like either you're striking out or you're hitting somebody. Kind of like Rudolph last year. Um, I just personally, Shane Bieber has proven to me too much that when he's on board, he's right up there in the top six, top five category. Julio Urias, who continues to get better, and he's also very, very young. This is me more or less just saying I'm not a huge Gosman fan. But the guys that you have behind him, I just I, – I can't say that right now. I just can't. Yeah, I, I, it seems like where we disagree is I just – I have less – I guess I'm, I'm maybe taking into account more or giving a bigger emphasis to the velocity drops that Bieber, Ray, Wheeler, and Urias have shown – some of them have gotten better. Wheeler was bad. I don't have quite as many concerns about him. I know that the results weren't there his last start, but he was back up to 96 miles an hour. I'm thinking maybe this was just a uh, shoulder issue and um, kind of gave him a shorter spring training. So Bieber sort of reinvented himself. He's uh, on top of that though. Bieber is also his spin rates have been down. So I guess like when I'm, when I'm this high in the rankings, I don't think that they're going to be bad I don't think like I know that Arias. I'm I'm a little scared for Arias, but his velocity has been way down. But uh, I don't like he's still. I don't think that's going to ruin him. I still think he's going to be a very good pitcher. I still have him ranked 13th, but still right up there with everybody else. Basically, a, basically an SP one. Mm-hmm. I guess when we get up to this point, I'm being very. I'm trying to be very nitpicky with with these guys, and I I just I have 
I, I, I guess right now, I don't have much reason to doubt Gosman. Whereas there are a little bit, there's there's a little bit of red flags with some of these guys behind him. So that's just where is I'm. Gosman that's just where better I'm at. Th- it, is Gosman going to be better than Robbie Ray last year? I don't think that he. I don't. I don't think it's fair to expect him to be better than Robbie Ray last year. But I also don't think Robbie Ray is going to be near Robbie Ray last. Year. At least based on what on, on what he's shown so far. It's a fair question. Yeah, that's a uh, fair answer. Like, same thing with Shane Bieber. Yeah, I, I, if Shane Bieber was at his ceiling, then yeah, I'd, I'd have him ranked ahead of Kevin Gosman because Bieber's shown that his ceiling is top three pitcher, but. Shane Bieber so far this year has not been the Shane Bieber of the past. The spin rates have been way down on his breakers and his fastball velocity. He's like sitting 90 miles an hour sometimes. That's mm-hmm. way down from what he was before. So that, I, I guess I, until I see it, I can't really expect Shane Bieber to be peak Shane Bieber. And this new version, I'm not really sure the ceiling is higher than what Kevin Gosman can give me. So I guess that's why like, I have him behind. Same thing with Robbie Ray. If Robbie Ray is not getting the strikeouts – that, and he hasn't so far. His velocity has been way down. That approach that we talked about, we talked up on the offseason, it doesn't work yeah. as well when you're throwing 92 instead of 95. And uh, Zach Wheeler, a lot of a lot of his appeal was strikeout rate last year. It jumped, and when the velocity is not where it was, the strikeouts are, are going to come way down. And I know with Arias, I Arias, I guess a little. I, I know that he can survive with a lower velocity. His fastball is not good, despite even the and that, that that does worry me, especially now that it's gotten worse. Now the velocity is a little lower. Him, I'm a little bit more worried about the innings. I'm worried about the jump that he had last year, uh, including the playoffs. He was up over 200 innings. I'm not sure that he was built up for that, and the velocity has not gotten a whole lot better to this point. But I'm still there's it's still early. There's still plenty of time for the velocity to climb. But this high in the rankings, there's just any little thing when you're this when you're when you're this elite, any little thing can drop you behind another guy like like a Gosman who's not really showing those same warning signs. So that's where I have Gosman. There's a, uh, yeah, go, ahead. Well, go ahead. No, I was, was just gonna end this segment if you have something else all, to say. No, I was just gonna I was just gonna say there's always the arsenal you can play too. Like I, I keep talking about the fastball. There's so many pitchers, or excuse me, so many pitches that a pitcher can do that determines how good they are. And I'm not going to go into like any sort of like pitcher by pitcher, but we'll see. I mean, I'm very curious. I, I'm not super high on Gosman. I was able to uh, convince Nate to not keep Gosman. So. I'm waiting to see if I'm going to bite the bullet on this one. I guess I'm not any higher than I was on Gosman. Well, I shouldn't say that. I am higher on Gosman now than I was preseason. But it has just as much to do with the guys that I had ranked literally directly above him, showing some warning signs where I've been more, much more encouraged with Gosman. That's a lot of the reason I made the switch there. But we're starting to run a little long, so I'll end the segment there. That was the starting pitcher debates, the first ones. Thank you. Thanks, Mike, for uh, looking through my 100, 100 pitcher ranking that I sent you and picking out some guys we could talk about. Uh, hopefully no we can make this a little more regular part of the podcast. I know I had a lot of fun prepping for it, so uh, we'll see. But let's move on to 
looking ahead to next week. Uh, so the first thing that I'm going to ask you is your for your thing to watch for. So what is your thing to watch for for this upcoming week? So I have two, actually. Uh, can Scott keep this up? Prove that he can be actual an actual contender? And me, can I get my first damn win, please? Whether it's like head-to-head or league median. Because I'm such a competitor. Being on four is not fun. So those are my top two. Yeah, I totally get that. My big thing, thing to watch for this week was, I guess it's, I wish I could go more in depth, but I just thought this was wild. What is up with the fan tracks projections for this week, especially coming off of last week? They have the league median at 287.4. That is just mm-hmm. insane coming off of last week where it was barely over 200. They, they just, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess totally they're projecting agree. a rebound for everybody. I totally yeah. agree because, like, I was debating about starting uh, Owen Miller over – I can't think of it right now. But, like, Owen Miller was projected to score one point. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. How? It's coming back. But, no, I totally agree. Like, it's nuts. Like, I'm projected to – score over the median but the median is like dumb high so no yeah yeah i mean i can tell you for my own team i'm projected to score 289 points and i would comfortably bet the under on that yeah I'd bet that, the under on just about everybody because they're all yeah, really high at this point yeah yeah no it's the median's been very low the past two weeks so I expect that median to drop down to the 240-230 range. Yeah, Fantrax needs to get its act together with the uh, with the projections. So let's move on to matchup proje- matchup predictions for this upcoming week. The first one, who you got between me and Sam? Oof. That's tough. I'm going to have to go with Sam on that one, man. I mean, he's... He went 2 nos first week, 1-1 this past week. I think he is a top two to three team right now. I got to go with Sam. Uh, it's nice of you to flatter me, but I, this one took me like two seconds. Sam is going to win this week. I, uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of a faith in my team going up against uh, two-start Corbin Burns, two-start Nathan Nivaldi. I'm pretty sure they're pitching right now. They're probably doing fantastic. I haven't looked, but... Yeah, I don't expect to win this week. Uh, next matchup, we have Jerwin, Team Positivity versus Nate, Demons in the infield. I have Nate in this one. Who do you got? Uh, yeah, same thing, Nate. All right, moving on to the next one, we have your matchup, Jordan versus and you. I, mm-hmm. I have Jordan in this one. <sighs> so when I was looking at this earlier, I was going to pick Jordan. But I'm picking myself. I got to be confident. Yeah, I think you've picked yourself just about every time that you've been on the podcast. I I'm not not I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I want to know what the record is, what your record is picking yourself to know if you're jinxing yourself or not. <laughs> no, I'm picking myself just throwing out a Hail Mary hoping that I can actually get a win. 
And if I do get the win, because I'm, I'm projected to get above the league median, that means that I'm going to get two wins. So I'm picking myself. All right, moving on yep. to the next one. We have JC versus Brendan. I have JC pulling this one off. Brendan is going to continue his skid here. Who you got? Stuff. I think I think Brent, Brandon is going to get a win here. Going with the upset. All right, moving on to the next one, we have Courtney versus Eddie, and I'm going to lead off by saying Eddie's going to win. Not only that, Courtney will not win a game until she rebrands, as I've been promised for a couple weeks now. Just decide what your team name – per sources, there is a rebrand coming. But I think the team right now is demoralized playing under such a bland team name. So my bold prediction, I'm making a bold prediction right now. Courtney's not going to win until she rebrands. So whether, whether that is this week, next week, whenever, she's going to go over until, until the team name is changed. So I'm going with Eddie here. Did you say that because Courtney's right next to you? She's not here right now. So no, <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> no, I'm gonna have to go with Eddie. I mean, he's 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 got a very good team. He's got a lot of good depth, and he's on a hot streak. So yeah, and he's go got a real Eddie. team name. Yeah, yeah, that too. All right, our final matchup is the battle of the two teams that actually scored well last week: Nick versus Scott. Oh, this was a this was a tough one. I want to pick Scott here, but I like I said, I don't think his pitching staff is going to perform quite up to that level this week. I'm going to go with Nick here. Yeah, as much. Nate and Nick will appreciate this. I've been hyping up Scott for a very, very long time. And Nick's team is just way too complete right now. Way too complete. So I'm going to have to go with uh, Nick on this one. All right, so those were our matchup predictions. Now we got we get to the league history fact. This was an interesting one. As I said earlier, it was a tough week last week for league scoring at large. We had our second lowest median score, and four teams have finished under 180 points. Just really a disaster all around for almost everybody. But that's not the league history fact. Uh, this is. It was especially bad for three teams we've normally seen near the top of the standings. For Nate, this was his lowest score ever during a regular season week and playoffs. Obviously, those are extended weeks, but... So this was also the second lowest output for both me and Courtney in league history, but even, even weirder this week also mar- marks the first time ever that the three of us have finished as the bottom three scores in a single week. And only the second time ever that not a single one of us has finished on the winning side of the, of the league median. So that is your league history fact of the week. The standings last week were all topsy turvy. And we are living in bizarre world, but uh, or that could be the end of an era. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. <laughs> All right, so now we got to move on to the last portion of the podcast, the news and notes section. I'm going to run through this very quickly. We have a few injury notes. John Means he's going to be lost for the year with Tommy John surgery. Uh, Eloy Jimenez he is out with a hamstring strain. I believe the timetable right now for him is six to eight weeks. So he will be gone for quite a while. 
Then we have a couple more minor injuries or injuries that they at least have told us are minor. With Alex Cobb, he's a groin strain. He's on the injured list. Uh, John Gray, MCL sprain. I believe those two are only supposed to miss one turn. Blake Trinan has shoulder discomfort. Andrew Heaney, same thing. Shoulder discomfort. I don't believe either of them have a timetable yet. Anthony DiScalfani was put on the injured list with ankle inflammation. Luke Voigt had some bicep problem. I saw this one real last minute. I saw biceps, so I put it on there. I don't have any more details on that. And the most interesting one to me is Michael Conforto is lost for the year with shoulder surgery. What's weird about this is he, he had to know he had a shoulder injury beforehand. I don't, I don't know if he hurt this in the offseason or not, but I don't know if you guys, if anybody remembers, he declined the qualifying offer from the Mets. That would have been a little over $17 million, I believe, for this year. And now he's getting nothing from this season. He's probably going to have to sign a pillow deal next year. Whoever's his agent made made a mistake here. Mm-hmm. But moving on to more interesting things, uh, Byron Buxton made his grand return to the field, hitting a home run with three runs and two RBIs in his second game back. Uh, I'm did this slash. I forgot to update the slash line in the notes. I'm sure it's wrong, but at the time I wrote this, he was hitting three three forty four. So between his, ta- I ask you, between his talent, keeper value, and injury risk, Buxton is one of the most difficult players to value in our league. Would you be looking, if you were Brendan, would you be looking to buy, I guess I guess if you're not Brendan, if you're, well, you are in a league that has Byron Buxton, so what are you looking to do? <laughs> Realize I worded this very hard. Uh, would you be looking to buy, sell, or hold Buxton? Oof. I mean, yeah, he he intrigues me a good amount. But if I'm the team that's holding him, the team that has him, I want to expect a good enough return, which you're not you're not gonna get. And if you sell him, trying to get that return, you're not gonna get. So if I'm in Brendan's case, I'm just seeing that it can stay healthy because the talent's there. But you're not going to get what you want, whether you buy him, move him, or sell him. So if I'm Brendan, just hang tight. All right, moving on to the next one we got. I know that I briefly touched on this later, but I'm about to sort of, as you said, nerd out a little bit over this performance. Shohei Otani turned in perhaps his best start ever on Wednesday. Went six innings pitched, only allowed two base runners. He struck out 12 and earned 20 whiffs against the notoriously hard-to-strike-out Houston Astros. Uh, His performance was fueled by his slider, which has taken a massive step forward this season. And, man, was that pitch on on Wednesday. Uh, Not only was he able to get swings and misses, he was able to expertly locate it to steal strikes. Uh, The increase in slider usage has come at the expense of his fastball, which is really is great news seeing as it was kind of the weak, one of the weaker elements of his arsenal. Um, And honestly, throwing it less has allowed it to really play up. Now that hitters have really started to have to worry about this new slider. I shouldn't say the slider is brand new. He had it. It's just much better this season. Uh, Anyways, that was one of the most fun pitching performances I've watched this year. And the fact that there was a real change, like this, like I even talked about with Cortez earlier, you got to look for a real change. The fact that there was a real change with that slider, that really makes me excited for what's to come with him. This is this is the best pitching Otani that we've that we've ever seen. 
But all that being said, this is still a guy who had a 946 OPS with 46 home runs last year. And I know we've talked about it, but in our league, you can only use Otani as either a pitcher or a hitter each week. So if you were Nick or Otani was on your team, how would you handle this? It's very tricky. Uh, Is he guaranteed to get one start every week? The Angels use a six-man rotation, and I think with – with the way the schedule's compacted this year, I don't think that there's a whole lot. He's not going to be – I don't think he's really ever going to be a two-star pitcher, but he should get at least no. one per week. At this point, I might start him at pitching because what he's proving on the mound right now, like you said, I mean, he's improved drastically, and his hitting has not been the same as last year, not even close. At this point, look, it's a numbers game. And his numbers in pitching have been better than his hitting. Right now, I would put him at pitching, honestly. Yeah, I'd be I'd be very tempted to start him as a pitcher. That was I like I watched the game. It was it well was that's so why I mean like when you gave me your rankings. I was half debating saying, why not put Otani at top five? Especially yeah, because of this year. It's the it's the innings with him. I like I think that will be like I I guess like a ceiling if I had to put if I had to put a reasonable expectation on what I thought his his innings would be this year. So if everything ceiling, breaks right, I would think it, he pitches like 130. And that's I don't think that's good enough to his, be in the, his, the top twenty. His ceiling is an all-star, and his floor is an all-star. That's Otani. You pick and choose the poison. You know, do you want him to get you those 10 to 20 points per week on a batting average, unless he goes off? Or do you want that 20-point, I don't want to say guaranteed, but 20-point pitching stats? And so far, he's been very, very good in the pitching category. Yeah, it's been pretty nuts. I know that this isn't on the itinerary, but I did think about this right before we started recording. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, 3,000 hits. That's uh, not something you see very often. No, Uh, only, what, the uh, seventh person in history? Yeah, so I I, now that – I wanted to give him all the all the uh, accolades because you know he's listening to this podcast right now. Probably well, not right now, but you know when it's posted. <laughs> so congratulations, Miguel Cabrera. But what I wanted to ask you, okay? So DraftKings yeah. gives you a free one hundred dollar bet. It says put yep. this put this on whoever you think is the next player to hit to get three thousand hits. Next uh, next guy to do it. Who do you think it's going to be? Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Okay. Yep. I'm a little worried about Trout just because I think the pandemic hurt hurt him where he like that was one of that was a season directly in his prime. And it was shortened, no fault of his own. So I had a little bit of injury where I'm going with somebody who's a lot younger. I'm going with Vlad Guerrero. I know he, he's o- not anywhere over close. Mike, over Mike Trout. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. Guerrero, Guerrero's only 22 years old. Okay. Maybe he's 23. Maybe I missed his birthday. But he has one of he has one of the best hit tools right now. He's got a lot of power. 
You know, that, I would I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think projecting ahead, he has one of the safest skill sets. I think he's going to age well. Not unlike Trout, but I think that Trout is going to be a little more hard pressed to get there now because he's lost a couple seasons to, to injury. I actually think this is a common theme with a lot of players. Like I'm looking at, I'm looking at like Freddie Freeman, Jose Altuve. They're getting a little up there in age. They're going to need a lot to break right for them to for them to get there. I also considered Juan Soto here, but really Juan Soto walk kind of walks too much to for me to feel good about him hitting this. I don't know. He doesn't rack up as many hits as you would think. Just be like his hit tools as good as anybody's, but he walks a whole lot, and I don't know that he's going to keep doing that. The hits aren't going to be quite as much as you would like, but I do have faith in Vlad to do it. You know, that's projecting a whole lot. We're not going to revisit this bold prediction for a number of years. My trout, <laughs> my, my trout is already halfway there. See, he's, he's halfway I, there, but I don't know that he's like. I think he's more than halfway through his prime. No, I don't think so. He's already <laughs> he's already came back and. No, he's not the old my trout that we know. But at the same point in time, it's like an Albert Pujols effect. You know, you're going to have these years where you get 200 hits per year. It's going to add up. And Guerrero and who was the other person you said? Guerrero. I said Soto, Soto, but I don't think he's, I, like I said, I think he walks too much to yeah, yeah. consistently rack up hits. I, I, I just don't see that. I understand that Guerrero has definitely increased his hit tool. But my child is my child. And he's, Slowly getting back to form. No, I'm sick with my gun. My trout. All right. So that brings us to the end of the podcast for today. I know we went pretty long, but uh, hopefully it's good content. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the uh, the starting pitcher rankings debate, the mock trades. Thanks, to, thanks to Mike for coming on. Mike, yes, any sir. final thoughts? Sam, get a hold of me about that trade. I'm always willing to uh, negotiate and. Jake, thanks for having me on. I always appreciate it. Always fun. And then on that note, Kevin Gosman is not a top 10 pitcher. Since we didn't have anybody here to like we didn't have a third person on to decide the debate, in the words of King Arthur from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, we'll call it a draw. All right, that's <laughs> all for that's all for us today. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on. Nate will be back with me next week. And uh, we'll talk to everybody then. Cool. See you guys.